As Jesus addresses the church at Pergamum, he knew where they lived, and it was a very dark area where there was a lot of satanic activity. They were doing some things well, persevering well, but other areas of compromise had crept in. Today we're going to learn about Pergamum's compromise and how we can stand strong in today's culture on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. And we did the introduction to the book of Colossians. I told you about antinomianism. Namas is the Greek word for law. Anti means against. The antinomians were against the law. They said we shouldn't have any law. So there's been modern cults in the last 50 to 100 years that have been exposed. And when the doors are open to these modern cults, you know what's happening behind closed doors? Sexual sin. Usually from the top down. Usually some weird charismatic cult leader that says other men's wives belong to him. Do you know Joseph Smith did that in Mormonism? Joseph Smith said that the wives of other men who were part of early Mormonism, he could have his way with them or actually steal them away and marry them for himself. I think at one point he had 38 wives. And then there's the children of God movement or the David Koresh movement. When David Koresh and that cult was exposed, he was stealing other men's wives. And he was saying, she's mine tonight, and you're going to do what I said because I'm the leader. Oh, oh, by the way, I'm Jesus Christ. I'm not sure if you knew that. No, David Koresh, you're not. And so as time has gone by, people under religious banners start saying stuff like this. Oh, well, the, the sexual ethics have changed. you got to get with the, the new ways of the culture, man. I mean, you guys, let's get real tonight. This is pounding at our doorstep. Many major denominations have thrown in the towel. They've thrown it in. And a lot of these major denominations stopped believing in the virgin birth and in the inspiration of Scripture. And now they're throwing in the stuff on sexual ethics and marriage, and it's, it's going in conservative churches, and I'm not sure we should be called conservative, we should just be called biblical, amen, amen. are becoming more rare. This, is, um, this was happening back in the day, and it's obviously happening today. First Peter said, Beloved, First Peter 2, 11 and 12, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. Look, if you've made a mistake in this area, I'm not here to bag on you. But I am here to say this. If we are going to embrace the ways of God, it means that we are going to have to shun the ways of the culture. It means that if you get engaged to an individual, don't have sex until you're married. Is that plain enough? It means that there is a covenant that God wants you to honor inside your marriage. And he doesn't want you to excuse sexual sin. 
We ran into a guy on the golf course, and we were talking a little bit. And it came out as we asked him some questions that he was living with his girlfriend. And yet he was going to church every Sunday. And we're kind of like, uh, well, how does that work exactly? You're living with your girlfriend, but you go to church every Sunday. And he said, well, i got to see if this whole thing is going to work out. <laughs> yeah, that, that sounds pretty convenient. That sounds like you have a pretty good exit plan if you don't like what's happening. Doesn't sound like a commitment to me. And so we, we have our excuses, but this church is addressed, and here's what Jesus says, verse 16. You're not going to feel great about it, but here's what it says. <laughs> it says, repent, therefore, or else I'm coming to you quickly, and I don't think this is the second coming. I think this is his coming in judgment. And I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. If you are contrary to my way, just like Balaam, I may cut you. I hope you have a donkey that is good 2020 vision. <laughs> you say, what does this mean exactly? I thought repentance was for unbelievers. No, these seven churches are addressed. They're all they're believing churches. They're churches. The church is called to repent. What does that mean? Repentance is metanoia in Greek. It means to change your mind and change your actions. And when you change your mind, you typically change your actions. And sometimes when you change your mind, it's when God confronts you and says, don't do that anymore. Otherwise, I'm going to bring a sword that you're not going to like in your life. Ooh. Well, you say, that doesn't sound very loving, Pastor Michael. Well, take a look at Revelation 3, verse 19. Revelation 3.19 says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Revelation 3.19, Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Read the verse with me again. Those whom I love, I do what? I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Those whom I love, I discipline. Hebrews 12 says, God disciplines the son in whom he delights. Now, how many of you could say tonight, I praise God for his discipline? <laughs> Can I get a witness? Oh, yes. Wow. Because if discipline comes into your life, what's, that God, what's God saying to you? He's saying to you, I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to dishonor my name or hurt your witness or hurt your marriage. So I'm going to stand in your way. And even if you don't see me, hopefully your donkey will. And I'm going to bring the sword of my word into your life. I've said this to people. I don't say it with any kind of glee. I say it usually with the heart of a pastor with compassion. And, I, and I'll qualify by saying this. I'm a human and I could fall on my face at any moment. But I've said to people who are in sin without repenting, you are inviting the discipline of God into your life. And I say that with biblical authority. You're asking God to discipline you. If that's what you want, go for it. But I'll tell you what, to the Corinthians, Paul said, if we judge ourselves, we will not be judged. So I would prefer, if the Lord's been nudging me in a certain area, I just would prefer to own it and repent of it so I don't have to deal with his sword. You say, what is his sword, Pastor Michael? I don't know exactly, but whatever it is, I don't want. I don't want it. 
right? Have you ever had to tell a friend something hard and you had to take three or four gulps before you picked up the phone or you met them for coffee and you said something like this? I'll, I'll say it guy to guy. Dude, I love you. But what you're doing is going to destroy you and your family and your witness and the honor of Christ in your life. Don't do that anymore. What does it take for you as a friend to say that to somebody? Oh, that's one of the hardest things to do. But what would motivate you to do that? Why would you ever have a meeting like that? I certainly don't enjoy filling my calendars with meetings where I have to confront individuals like, gee, I've got him on Thursday morning and her on Friday afternoon, and oh, it's going to be wonderful. No, none of us takes delight in that. But what would ever motivate any of us to say something hard to a friend? One word, love. If you don't say anything, I'm going to question your love for that person. I'm not saying it's comfortable. I'm not saying it's easy. But I'm saying that the only reason you would say something hard to a person, and here's what Jesus says in Matthew 18, if you warn your brother and he turns from his way, you have saved your brother, this is the language, from further harm. If your brother's standing on the railroad tracks and woo, 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 train's coming down the track, what are you going to do? Oh, he's fine. He hears the whistle. What if he's got headphones on? He's listening to his music. <laughs> what are you going to do? Are you going to practice what's known in Latin, non rockabotus? That means whatever you do, no rockabout. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I borrowed that from Dr. Walter Martin. He said that the church is suffering from endemic disease called non rockabotus. Whatever you do, no rocket a boat. Look, I know we want to be cool and at peace with everybody. That's me. I, I, like, I like smooth waters, but I've discovered something. Life keeps throwing me troubled ones. <laughs> and things that I have to sometimes say, hey, here's what's going on. I thought when I signed up for the pastorate, I just got to preach and I got to go home. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Visit the Walk in Truth store today and get the DVD series in Revelation by Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the mark of the beast, and learn about the new heaven and the new earth. Join Michael Lance in these DVD series of the dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVDs, all available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. And then, and then I started working at the church. And there's people and problems and funerals and weddings and premarital and postmarital counseling and primordial ooze. And <laughs> let's face it, there's so many things pulling at Christians in our culture. The church has become enculturated. 
There was a story about a pastor who was caught committing sexual sin. He committed adultery on his wife for 13 months while he was preaching. He gets caught. They dismissed him, and he was shocked. He asked why. I repented and asked for forgiveness. They said, because for 13 months you were in the pulpit committing adultery on your wife while you preached to everybody else. That's why you were dismissed. Look, as I've said many times, nobody can stand in a pulpit perfect. There's no perfect men behind pulpits, but there's a call to holiness. Amen? And I know things are pulling on you because they pull on me in this culture. And here's our problem. Why do you think people get involved in sexual sin and immorality and idolatry? Just, just think for a second. What do you think the pull is? Think about it. Think, look deep. What do you think the pull is towards idolatry and sexual immorality? I'll tell you what it is. It's a substitute for love, true love, and it's a substitute for true intimacy. We think if we go and grab these dangling carrots, we're going to find something that God can't give us or our spouse can't give us or our friends can't give us. And so we do, what we do is we glom onto those things. And what they produce every single time is more emptiness. They can't produce. Think of... Uh, Esau, he comes in from the field. He's known as Big Red. Big Red. Old uh, bubblegum commercial, right? Anyway, he comes in. I'm famished, man. I've been, I've been hunting. I'm an outdoorsman. Jacob's stirring the Campbell's soup on tomato. <laughs> give me something. Give me that bite of that stew. I'm famished. Okay, just give me your birthright and we'll be cool. All right, what good is the birthright to me if I'm starving here? I haven't eaten in 45 minutes. Might have been a teenager. So he ate the soup. Hopefully it was good, right? Momentary pleasure for the flesh. How long did it take him to eat the soup? Maybe five minutes. Oh, the stew. Yeah, hungry man's. Yeah. And then what? Birthright, gone. Was it worth it, Esau? Couldn't you have made a turkey sandwich? (laughs) You're a hunter, man. Come on. Sometimes for 5, 10, 15 minutes, people will sell everything. Everything. So Jesus says, repent, or I'm going to make war with you with a sword from my mouth. Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. And look, here's an encouragement at the end. To him who overcomes, I will give him some of the hidden manna. What's that? Well, we know what the manna was. The manna was the provision that God gave the children of Israel in the wilderness. And manna means, what is it? That's the definition of manna. Don't say that when your mother-in-law cooks a meal for you and places it before you. Don't say, what is it? Or a sword's coming, and you'll be sleeping with the donkey. (laughs) 
So the, the manna came and it was white and flaky and sweet like honey and they would pick it up every day. It was a daily provision. But you know what happened with the manna, right? They, even though it was a miracle and even though it was sweet and you could do all kinds of different things with it, manna, cotty, and, and all kinds of stuff. They got sick of it and you know what they said? I'm tired of manna. I'm tired of this supernatural provision from God. Uh, let's get a caravan and let's go back to Egypt. And as Christians, we have this incredible manna from God. We have the bread of God, the word of God, the living Christ abiding in his church. But sometimes we go, ah, you know, I, I'm a little tired of manna. What's, what? Let's go back to Egypt for the weekend. Right? I'm sure there's, there's steak and onions and green peppers and they saute them. And, right? And somebody whispers, you were slaves in Egypt. You weren't going to the restaurants. You were dancing in the mud, building the pyramids for the pharaoh. Yeah, but twice a month they gave us a steak buffet dinner. Right? We remember the good times, not that we were enslaved and the taskmasters were beating our back. Right? Jesus said, I'm the bread of God that came down from heaven. What's the hidden manna? It's whatever you need for the greatest longings of your soul you're going to find in me. Don't look for cheap substitutes in those temples up on that hill because every time you go there, you're going to find a more and more emptiness. Christ is enough. You believe that? Christ is enough. Number two, I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone. Idolatry, we, pull, we get pulled towards because we think it'll do something for our souls. Maybe give us some power, something we need. We go towards sexual immorality because it's a false sense of intimacy, and it doesn't give you intimacy. Pornography in that world is a big, fat lie. Most of those girls have to be high to, to do what they do and say that they like it on camera. I'm just going to be blunt with you. I've heard them interviewed. This is what happens. They say, I had to be high to do that. And when they interviewed me, they always told me to say that I really enjoy what I'm doing when I hated it. And I felt filthy and abused and despised. That's, that's the lie of the devil. Well, just make it look good on the outside because that carrot will draw a bunch of people in, even Christians. And Jesus says, you want the manna? You want a white stone, a new name written on it, the name I'm going to give you, which no one knows. I know it. You're going to know it. I'm going to call you Peter. Your name is Rock. I'm going to call you whatever your name's going to be in the future when God's going to give you that name. It's something between you and him. It's an intimacy that you can't know outside of knowing God and, of course, in the right relationships on a human level. I'll provide food for your soul. What does the white stone represent? There's perhaps a dozen or more views on the white stone. Some say it indicates innocence. Throwing the black stone meant guilty. Throwing the white stone meant innocent and like a court. Still others believe it's the white stone on Aaron's breastplate, the high priest's breastplate of the 12 gemstones. But some scholars have pointed out a Roman custom, and we'll finish with this, 
was to award white stones called a tessera to the victors in athletic contests. The white stone would be inscribed with the athlete's name and serve as his ticket to a special awards banquet. In this view, the white stone would represent the believer being in heaven and celebrating his eternal victory and rewards in Jesus Christ, a new name, intimacy with God. Well, you've probably heard this before, but the Christian life has been described as really a race, a marathon, an athletic contest. And you know, the victory that we enjoy is in Jesus Christ. He is our victory. But we have our part to play, and our part to play is to walk with him, to run with him, to keep the pace, to keep our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. And if you've been defeated, if you're a Christian, let's face it, there's there's many Christians in this situation that just you have felt like, man, I am off on the side of the track bleeding, on my knees, scraped up. Can I get back in the game? And the answer is you can. Just turn away from your sin, repent of it, and say, Lord, I want to get back to you. You may be asking, well, is repentance for believers? Yes, it is. Revelation 2 and 3, Jesus calls the churches that he corrects to repent, to return to their first love, to get back in the race, to get back in the game. So I want to encourage you, if you're that person right now, and you have You're like, man, can I even be effective again? Can I get anywhere near the front of this race again? The answer is you can, because there's hope in Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian, well, the truth is that you're already in defeat. In fact, I have to tell you some bad news. You're already condemned because you haven't believed in Jesus. He is our victory. But here's some good news. You can look on him. You can trust in Jesus who won the victory for you at the cross And you can move from darkness to light, from the kingdom of Satan to God, from death to life. If you've not met Jesus Christ, friend, you've been listening to Christian radio, you've been hearing these messages, you're intrigued, and maybe even you say, I believe, but what do I do now? Trust in Jesus Christ. Something like this, Lord God, thank you for sending your son. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe in your resurrection from the dead. And I'm going to put my trust in you right now as my Lord, my Savior, my God, and my King. I turn from my sin, I repent of it, and I place my faith and trust in you. Save me, change me, and help me to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, we, our team here at Walk in Truth, would love to know. I would love to know if you opened your heart to Jesus or even rededicated your life. Would you reach out to us today through walkintruth.com? That's our website. Reach out to us or call the number, which is 844-48-TRUTH. Make sure you call during business hours. If you need prayer, one of our pastors would be happy to pray with you. So reach out to us today. Hey, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. We're really glad that you're diving into the book of Revelation with us and praying for us and even partnering with us. Well, friend, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and I want to encourage you to come on out to the church behind this ministry, behind Walk in Truth, and that's Living Truth Christian Fellowship, where I have the privilege and honor of serving as senior pastor. We have two services every Sunday. One's at 9, the other is at 11.15 a.m. At that second service, we have youth group as well at the 11.15 
Now, I've been telling you there's no substitute for fellowship. So if you can get out and you've been unplugged for a while, you haven't been in church, maybe you had a bad experience, maybe you just kind of drifted away, life got in the way, all of that. Well, I want to encourage you to come out to church this Sunday. I want you to know that Walk in Truth is supported by a great church family that I think you'd really enjoy the experience coming on the campus, getting a hug, having a cup of coffee and a donut, hearing some great worship and entering into praise and worship, which is a key to our Christian life, greeting other Christians, using your spiritual gifts. That's why God gave us gifts to use them. And of course, diving into God's word and applying it in our lives. All of this is what we get when we come together corporately. And I even mentioned to you that the Bible says that even the angels in some mysterious way participate in our worship. That means that Sunday worship is not just about coming to a building and spending 90 minutes there or whatever it is. It's about something glorious, something deep, something essential. I want to encourage you to come on out. If you download the Living Truth app in your app store, you'll always know exactly what's going on here at this great church in Corona. The Living Truth app is free. Download it today. You'll know it's our app by looking for the red logo with the pillars because the Church of the Living God is the pillar and support of the truth. Now come back again on Monday because we're going to begin the Revelation message called Thyatira's Tolerance. In this teaching, we're going to look at a church that it actually has compromised. They have tolerated things that they shouldn't have tolerated. And Jesus is going to correct them. And we need to hear what Jesus, the Lord of the church, has to say. So make sure you tune in on Monday. Make sure you're in church this weekend, glorifying and celebrating our risen Lord with his people. Until then, may God richly bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people. 